All right. We're going to get you back to your seats and we're going to jump on in this morning. It's great to hear all the chatter and the conversation. So good. Well, if you, um, if, if I, I don't think I, I mentioned this earlier, but my name is Sean and I'm one of the pastors here on the team and it's great to have you here today. It's nice to see you in person, and it's also great to have everybody who is online with us. And the thing I love about this online, this in-person thing, and this is something that you just need to be aware of right now, everybody, is that from this point forward, we're going to present a hybrid church. We're going to value everybody who is here, and we're especially going to value those who are online and maybe can't be with us today. And so if you are online, you are part of this family as well today, and we're excited that you're here with us. And so it's good. We're going to have a good time as we move forward into this new horizon that God has kind of presented to us. Now, this, this last weekend in the movie theaters, and again, uh, it's great, and I know some of you are like, I can't believe he's about to talk about a movie theater in church, but yes, I am, all right, so don't judge me, uh, but I'm in the movie theater, this, this great movie called Black Widow came out. And uh, if you have not seen Black Widow, it's kind of a, a part of the whole Avengers series. Uh, Avengers is completely superior to like that other DC thing in life. And uh, but anyway, uh, this Black Widow. And like, if you've seen Black Widow already, I haven't seen it, so don't tell me what happens. But for those of you who've never seen it, she dies eventually anyway, so don't worry about it. Uh, but this this idea of superheroes, like we've got this idea of superheroes in front of us, and we've looked at superheroes for a really long time. Well, here's my question. If you could be a superhero, what would be your superpower? Okay? So I want you to think about that. If you've got an idea, you could say it to somebody. If you're on the chat, you could take put that in there. But what superpower would you be? I know some of you are looking at me and be like, oh, Sean, it, it must be like having, having dad strength or something like that. And I've got dad strength, okay? My kids still can't take me out. And I've got a six foot two kid in my home, and I've got dad strength. Right? You wanna go? All right, we won't do that here because he'll beat me. Uh, but so we, we, we lift up these superheroes, and, and, but the reality is it's Hollywood. Nobody like truly is the superhero with these crazy super strengths and powers, whether it be that you had like all the power in the world or invisibility or you could read people's minds or actually just point your finger and people would just disappear. Like that would be pretty cool too. You're gone. All right. But that, that doesn't happen. So I have another question for you. What is real to us is that we live in this world, which means humanity, beings all around us. What would be your superhuman relational strength trait that you could give to somebody else if you could? What skill, if you could live it to the maximum to make this relationship with human beings better, what would it be? What would be your superhuman skill? And again, maybe you've got something in mind. You could say that to your neighbor. You could write it in the chat. But what could you produce to make humanity a better place to live? What would be that for you?
Now, as you think about that, I'm going to take us to the text that I want to read to us today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can pull that up. And if you don't, I think it will be on the screens for you as well. And so let's read this together today and get an understanding of where I'm going to be taking us. So it says he died. Everybody say he died. Who is he? He is Jesus. So the text is Jesus has died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Meaning, quit living for yourselves when you come to Jesus. But when you come to him, you don't live for yourself anymore. It says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view and how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. It says that the old life is gone and the new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God. How many of you like gifts, right? Do you like getting gifts? This is a gift from God. He's given this to you. Like when you come to him, you don't have to hang on to your old life anymore. You get a new life. How many of you know the new life, right? You know that the new life is good for you. But it says all of these things are a gift from him who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling. Somebody say reconcile. This is going to be important. Reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. And God is making his appeal through you. Somebody say me. He's making his appeal through you. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And as God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. As we've read the word of the Lord, will you pray with me today? Father, thank you so much that we get to be here today, that we get to gather in this way to learn. And may we, in these next few minutes, fix our attention on you. May we hear your word and not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Teach us in this space today so that we could look more like you. Jesus, I love you and I give you thanks. And so, Holy Spirit, will you anoint these words in these moments and help us to become more like Christ? And I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, everybody said. The subject I'd like to speak to us today is is ambassadors wanted. So this uh, new series that we're about to start into today, I got to tell you, it's really a setup for the fall. Okay, so we're going to use these next number of weeks to get us to the fall. It's intentional. It's been in the queue for quite a long time. In order to do this series, the text that I just read to us today is the backbone. I mean, this is it. Uh, There is a primary, a primary goal for your life and for my life. And guess what? That primary goal is not you getting to heaven. Shocker. It's not for you to get to heaven. In fact, what this text is showing us is that the primary purpose of our life is to bring people back to God that we are to be reconcilers and to allow people to see him in our lives. 
this definition of reconcile, let me explain it to us today, but it is this. Reconcile means to restore to friendship. It means to make consistent. It's to check against another for accuracy, especially in that last phase of the definition. We all know what I'm talking about. How many of you have ever used money before in your life? Anybody have a bank account, something like that? Can you just give us your bank account number? No, I'm kidding. We're not doing that. We know bank. We understand what that is. Now, there are certain means that we have to live in. We know how much money we make with a paycheck. And so it would be really smart, don't you think, to actually spend probably at least up underneath that or at least parallel to it. But what happens when you make this much money and you decide to spend this much money? You realize right away that you're going to be in trouble with what happens. And so there is this old terminology that we have used with this word, especially when it comes to money. And it is this term reconcile. In fact, people at the end of a month will go to their bank or they'll do their online banking and the actual word that they will use to make sure that their money is equaling and balancing itself out is to reconcile. So we understand this reconciliation piece even from a financial gain, but what Jesus is asking from us today is will we make consistent the relationships that are around us? Will we allow to have friendship with other people and to restore that friendship so that we can advance? What we are talking about here is the gospel of reconciliation. And it is this, that the kingdom of God is all about restorative relationships. God wants you and me to be able to restore people back to him. And Paul, who is the author of this text, implores us that when you come to Jesus Christ, you live by a different set of standards. There is new rule to you and I. And he makes this phrase that you are Christ's ambassadors. Somebody say ambassadors. You are an ambassador. What does that mean? Well, an ambassador comes from a completely different country to this country to make liaison between the two. And Jesus says that you're his ambassador. And I love this part because this is a mind-blowing thought. But it says that he is going to make his appeal through you. Point at yourself for a second. I know it's rude to point, apparently. That's what my mom told me. But point at yourself. Jesus is literally saying that my kingdom is going to become evident to a world through you. Now, I don't know if you have a problem with this like I do. But like, I'm like, hey, God, do you know who I am? Because I'm not your guy. Like, you don't know what I did over here. You don't know how I think over here. You don't know how I've treated my family. This, you don't know me. And God is like, guess what, Sean? I'm going to make my appeal through you. And God wants to make his appeal to this world through you. Not the person beside you even. You. God is looking at us individually so that collectively we could do something in bringing reconciliation to this world. The question that comes from this, though, is this. So what exactly is the standard in which I am supposed to make this appeal in? Which is a great question. Thank you for asking. I'm glad you asked. Now let me answer it. So is this idea today of one another. Somebody say, one another. One another, which is derived from the Greek word alion, says this, when you see the text one another, it means each other, it means mutual, and it means reciprocal. So that when you one another, you do those things. 
to each other, it's done mutually, and it's done in reciprocal fashion. The text that we are talking about today is leading us into this brand new series that we're going to do through the summer called One Another. In fact, in the New Testament alone, there are 100 one another's that you will see. 59 of those are specific commands for you and I on how to and how not to approach our human relationships. How, how is that for fun? 59 commands as to what we're going to do. And I love what uh, author uh, Andy Stanley says. He says, the primary activity of the church was one anothering one another. See, when everyone is sitting in rows, you can't do any one another's. We have this opportunity in front of us in this reconciliation process of bringing people back to God, which means we bring people back to God even in the church, not just in the world. We have this opportunity to bring this reconciliation process to the table today. And perhaps you have heard some of these one another's before. In fact, I would probably be pretty confident to think that you have. And in fact, maybe if you know one of the one another's, tell it to your neighbor right now. If you don't have a neighbor, just whisper it in your head. I don't care. But this idea of what are the one another's that are around you today? Because for this series here in the summer, I've, I've actually dwindled it down to 10 one another's that we're going to talk about. How's that? We've taken 100 to 59 to 10, and we're going to present it all to you in these next number of weeks. But when we look at these one another's, what we are saying is we are trying to identify the standard of what believers of Jesus Christ need to be and to do. Today, I'm going to take us into the first one another. In fact, this first one another is the most important of them all. It is the underlying concept, lifestyle, as to which all the one another's need to take place and to have shape. And I actually think that some of you may even already know what the one another is. But what do you think is the most important one another that you would find in the Bible? So let's take a look. John 13, verse 35, Jesus says, Your love, somebody say love. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Question. When people look at your life, do they see your love for the world? It's pretty simple. Tough question maybe to answer. But Jesus says your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. John 15, 12. Sounds like there's love happening out there too, okay? It's all good. It says your love for each you love each other in the same way that I've loved you. Jesus has given us a model for love in our lives. How many of you are thankful for Jesus' love, especially when you've made all those mistakes? I got both my hands up because if I had more, I'd do it. But it says that the way Jesus has loved you and I, we are to love other people. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says that these three will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And guess what the greatest one is? Love. And then we jump over to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, which is a text that is wrapped around the fruit of the Spirit. And, and folks, I need to tell you that if we are going to be reconcilers, if we are going to be Christ's ambassadors, there is something very important for you and I to pay attention to, and that is the power and the function of the Holy Spirit of God. And He actually places inside of our lives what is called the fruit of the Spirit. And guess what the very first piece of the fruit of the Spirit is? Love. 
He starts off right away. Love is everything. I got to tell you that these verses that we've just shared, they will preach. They show us how Jesus has loved us. They implore us to, that we will prove to this world that the love of Christ is in us and how we treat one another's and that we get to reconcile everyone to him. But we have a problem. We have a big problem here because I think the world, when they look at the church, They actually see us more for what we are against rather than what we are for. And so if Jesus is saying, hey, your love to each other is going to prove to this world, and we've got a problem like this, it means that we as followers of Christ need to step up our love game, do we not? And love our world. This is what he wants for us. But I got to tell you, like, in this last year and a half, Love has been challenged. I mean, when you think of all the things that we've had to walk through in society, racial inequality, our masks, and the opinions around our masks, the political sphere, the opinions. I mean, I'm telling you, this has been tough because I think some of us are asking the question, how today can I love people when I don't see eye to eye with them. Have you ever asked that question before? I have. I mean, how can I love that? I don't agree with that. But then I'm reminded of the the tone of, of the Bible. And it's this, that Jesus isn't calling you and I to uniformity. He's calling us to unity. So just because you and I think differently is okay. He's not asking us all to be on the same page all the time with every single thing. But what he is asking his church to be is a unified bride, which means that we have to come together in love and sometimes lay down our own opinions and our own positions so that we could love other people. Something as simple as wearing a mask today. I'm wearing my mask most of the time outside of this communication. Why? Because there's people here who are still not comfortable with not having a mask. And if that is a way for me to love, that's something that I've had to wrestle with. And there's no judgment to wherever anybody is because what we believe is all are welcome here. And so we come to this moment here, but folks, I'm I'm here to tell you today and to me, this is not about your kingdom priorities This is about Jesus' kingdom's priorities. And what he is asking you and I to do today is to love other people. And by that, you prove to the world that you are my disciples. Carrie Newhoff says this quote, love it, says, very few people get judged into life change, but many people get loved into it. (laughs) Brilliant. We need to lay down our judgment swords and allow people to be loved to Jesus. That's what we're going to need. Author um, Jonathan um, Wiggins communicated that there are two basic human needs that happen in life. I don't know why he simply landed just on these two, but this is where he landed. And the first one he talked about was attachment. Every human being has a level of attachment that they want in their life. And so for instance, um, let's, let's look at babies just for a quick moment. Science has proven that babies, when they are born, if they are not held, touched, and coddled, and all that kind of stuff, they could actually pass away. If babies are not given that attachment in large quantities, 
They could also grow up in their childhood and have a lot of struggles. This attachment thing is actually very important for us to pay attention to. In fact, I think attachment is a survival need for all of us. We all have this wanting to be attached to somebody. We want to know that we are accepted for who we are. I have not met one person who thinks opposite of that. We all want to have this attachment in our lives. In fact, studies have gone on, uh, Harvard uh, University decided to do a study uh, and they used men. And they wanted to know how men could live longer lives. I don't know why they picked men, but this is what they did. And it said that when they studied these men on how to live a longer life, what were the things that they had settled on were these, is that a man would have a long life in the number of friendships that he had and the depth of the relationships that he had. Because attachment is critical for all of us. The second human need that we see is the, the need of authenticity. And being authentic I mean, let's just go back to our babies for a quick moment. You know, babies, they're all cute, right? We love seeing our babies when they cry. We can give them back to their parents. It feels great and all that kind of jazz, right? But a baby has an inability to be able to move on its own. Fair enough? So let's just use the silliness of the, of the illustration. So a baby, when they are hungry, they do not crawl on their hands and knees, nor do they walk over to their high chair. They do not crawl up into their high chair, they do not take a spoon in their hand and begin to tap the table and say, hey, folks, I'm hungry. Feed me now. Like a baby doesn't do that, does it? What does the baby do? No, it doesn't cry. It yells at you. <laughs> that baby yells at you. He or she lets you know that I am hungry now. If you don't feed me, I'm going to make your life miserable. And so that baby does what it does to get your attention. The baby does that because there is a deep emotional need that is happening inside of the life of that child. That child will soon grow up a little bit more and they, they learn this language and they're talking and they're playing with their kids and there's something there that there's to play with and they run up to it and all they say is like, mine, mine, mine. And, but a kid has no hot clue what they are doing, but that's apparently theirs. They didn't buy it. In fact, it's not even their families, but it's mine. And then eventually that kid will grow up a little bit further and they will begin to talk and they'll begin to feed themselves because there are these certain emotional urges and feeds within their life that they're going to be able to journey and adapt to. But this authentic self expresses itself all the time everywhere. Have you ever expressed yourself emotionally? And it's whether it's been good or bad. I think we've all had those moments, especially through this pandemic of trying to love people well, but then trying to like, I just want to eliminate you as a person. Like we've all, I think we've all had those moments because there is a, a deep, raw, emotional part of who we are. But this is what I notice with our authentic selves. Our authentic self is threatened in our attachment. Being your authentic self threatens your attachment. Because when I act or respond a certain way that doesn't fit with you, you will discard me. You will throw me away. And so we've got a problem here in that we understand that we're supposed to have attachment. We're supposed to be authentic and I think actually that's why a lot of people struggle with church is, oh, okay, I can belong here and I don't have to do what you do. That's good. But the moment that they don't shape up to my style and my standard, I will throw them away. 
And I think that's where people have this wrestle when it comes to church life. So we have an opportunity here, especially when it comes to this authenticity, because we know this about authenticity, that when I do something wrong or something that didn't live up to the standard of somebody else, there are a couple things that happen. Guilt, right? I, I did something wrong. Or then the second piece is shame. Now it's like I am something wrong. And when we go to guilt and shame, we begin to shell ourselves, we begin to hide. And isn't that the issue of humanity today, is that we do a lot of hiding. Because we're afraid that if our authentic self was in front of you, you may not accept me, attachment. And yet, so what I'm saying today is that we have to move ourselves to a place when we're to reconcile people back to God, uh, and we have to take these approaches of attachment and authenticity, we have a responsibility to love people well in this life. Here's my question. So what if, what if we could really be loved and known? What, what would it look like if we could be loved and known? And I am hoping today that we could begin to create an environment for people where they could be both loved and known. They could be both attached and authentic, and because they're on a journey to Jesus Christ, just like you and I have been. Tim Keller says this. He says, to be loved and not known is comforting, but superficial. To be known and not loved is terrifying. But to be loved and known is like being loved by God. Take a look at that quote. Because if this happens I believe that the false self will begin to break down, shame will begin to disappear, and I believe that people will be reconciled to God. First John chapter 4, verse 18 reads that there is no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What would an environment look like where I don't have to come in afraid that I'm going to be accepted, rejected, or that I could be myself because that's how Jesus loves me to be? And please believe me, when you come to Jesus, he's going to change your life. He's going to adjust things that aren't settling to his standard of living, but he'll get there with you when he's ready and when your heart is ready with the Spirit. Renero Cantala Mesa said this. He said, it is not difficult to see why we are so keen to widen our knowledge and why we are so little concerned about increasing our capacity for love. Knowledge translates directly into power, but love into service. I'm not looking for power brokers at Callwood Church. I'm looking for people who will serve and who will love because it is there where the world will see. That's why I'm excited that at four o'clock today, we're going to go serve our community. We're going to pray over our community. And if you have nothing in your schedule, I encourage you to be here and to come and serve this way because by our love, the world will know Jesus. So Jesus commands us to love one another. This is where we start because this is the beginning and it is the end. He challenges us to love one another and he says that our love is the proof of this where attachment and authenticity happen. Now, how did Jesus love? This is the question. How did Jesus love? 
And I got to tell you, as I'm, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was introduced to this, um, this show on YouTube called The Chosen. Has anybody seen this, uh, this, this idea of The Chosen? Okay, if you have not heard this yet, today, go home and go to YouTube and type in The Chosen and watch season one or episode one. I was in tears by the end of it. And it is this depiction of Jesus and him calling his disciples together. But there was this one particular disciple in the story that is being unfolded in The Chosen, and his name was Matthew. Matthew happened to be the guy who wrote the first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. He was a Jewish kid growing up, but the Romans, of course, have invaded the space of the Jewish people. And they hire little Matthew to become this tax collector. Well, tax collectors were scum. They were hated. People did not like them. And in fact, you see this depiction of even some of Jesus' disciples before Matthew was even called, and you see the animosity and the hatred towards this. And then Jesus walks into this picture, and there's little old Matthew not knowing who he is anymore. He has no authentic self anymore because he thinks he's gone back and forth with so many different things. This idea today is that Jesus comes and he calls Matthew. He says, hey, Matthew, this is what I need for you. Dallas is coming. It's good. It's good. It's what happens. This idea of he calls Matthew. And guess what? Jesus' disciples think Jesus is a lunatic. How could you call that guy? And I'm asking myself, how does Jesus love people? He saw something in Matthew that nobody else saw. And I don't know about you. Have you ever had anybody in your life who saw something that you didn't see and it put you on a good trajectory in life? I've had multiple people see things in Sean Chapman that I couldn't see, and it changed me. And Jesus does that with Matthew. Jesus goes on, and he, and he works with women in a way unprecedented, never seen before. The sinners, those people who no one wanted to touch or spend time with. I'm telling you, this chosen thing has just given me a whole new perspective of the lens of Jesus' eyes and his heart. Jesus communicates to us that it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. And I know I'm sick in my heart sometimes, that's for sure. But that's who Jesus came for. When we talk about this reconciliation, he's saying, I need you to bring people back to me. Because they're sick and they need me. In the Greek culture, they had four definitions of the word love. And the greatest of all of them was this word agape. Say agape. Agape. Agape was the, the, the best description. It was the best definition of what this love was. Guess what? All of the texts that we have read today, guess what the root of the word love is? Agape in everything. Your love will prove as I have loved you. Um, the greatest of these is agape, and the fruit of the Spirit is agape. Like, Jesus is making a point to us today that the most important piece of love that we bring is not just the feeling in our hearts, because how many of you know our feelings are fleeting, and our feelings are wrong a lot of the time? Jesus says, I want your unfailing love to one another. So how can I love? Remember our text. Jesus says, you're not living for yourself anymore. You're living for me. This is my kingdom. So quit judging people. 
love people because the world will know when you do. God is making his appeal through you and I. So what can you do? So this is what love looks like and this is how I close today. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is referred to as the love chapter. It is the agape chapter. It is where the Holy Spirit, when you allow him to, he will change your perspective and your outlook of what love looks like. That is not just simply a feeling. Feelings are important too. Don't misunderstand me. But agape is so much more than your feelings. And so it says that you could have all the languages on this earth. You could have all the wisdom of this earth. You could have all the faith in the world. You could have the best generosity, the best checkbook, whatever it is, and you give a lot. You could even practice self-denial for yourself. But if you do all of these things and you don't have agape, it's nothing. It means jack squat without love. So this is how I'm challenging all of us this week as you approach. How could you pray agape? How could you one another people when it comes to your love? And he gives us the answer in a couple of short verses. And I'm challenging you to pray this prayer today. God, how? And so this is how it starts. Love is patient. (laughs) Be careful if you pray for this love today because he's going to send you that child. He's going to send you that spouse, that person who cuts you off in traffic. He's going to take you to a Costco lineup and you're going to hate your life. Patience. But he says agape is patient. He also goes on to say that it is kind. It isn't jealous or boastful or proud. It's not rude. Can I make an admission to you? I've seen too much rude in this last 16 months because somebody thinks their opinion is greater than the human being in which they're talking to. Folks, we need to lay down our rude because we feel a certain way. Our reconciliation to this world is all about how we agape. And it says that agape isn't rude. I've probably struggled in that with my wife and my kids at times where I've been rude and I forgot that agape was something that I should have done. It says that it's not irritable. (laughs) Oh man, I'm guilty here. (laughs) Not irritable. Like I said, there's just some times I wish I could just point my finger and like a genie, that person disappears. We get irritable, but that's not love. It says it keeps no record of being wronged. Let me say this. Hey, married people, it keeps no record of wrong. Oh, why are you picking on the married people again? Well, because I often find that when it comes to conflict, One of the things that couples do really well is they like to point out the flaws of the other person. But agape says it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Now, just because you're single, that doesn't mean that you ignore this either. But it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. That's what agape does. It lays down. It doesn't rejoice about the injustices, but rejoices when the truth wins out. We've had a lot of injustices last year. Where were you on that? It says, love never gives up. It 
never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Love never fails. Jesus asks you and I today to be reconcilers in this world. We're ambassadors. The first one another is love. How can we lift up people to love them? Today we have a challenge in front of us, church. 1 Corinthians 13. This is agape. Will you go on a journey to not judge this world, but to love them? And when we do, it says Jesus is going to bring people back to himself because that's what he does. He brings us to him. Will you pray with me today? Jesus, thank you so much for these moments that we're able to spend together in your word. And as we have started this brand new series of one another, we start with love. Love is the greatest expression. It proves to the world that we're your disciples. And I ask that the same love that you have given to each one of us individually would be a love that we would be willing to give away to even the difficult people that are around us. I pray today, Jesus, that you will allow your spirit's power to be at work deep within inside of us. That you will encourage us to, to love this world as you have loved them. And I ask that we would be bold enough today to pray, God, teach me how to love and teach me how to love by looking at 1 Corinthians 13. Teach us to agape well because it's what you do. And I'll give you thanks for that today. And with all eyes closed and heads bowed, whether you are online with us today or here in person with us, but maybe you have never moved to a relationship with Jesus Christ and he is agape. I mean, he literally wants to be attached to you. He wants for your authentic self to be expressed because he's created your life a certain way and he has plans for you. But it comes down to submitting your life to him, saying, Jesus, thank you that you died on a cross for me, that that love made that gap, you bridged that gap so that I could come to you. And all we're encouraging you to do today is to, is to say a prayer, Jesus, I need you. In a very practical way, you could also pull out your smartphones, your devices, and you could text the word LIFE to 250-478-7113, and we would love the opportunity to lead you in a relationship with Jesus. So Jesus, we commit these moments to you. We ask you to do a deep work in our hearts this summer as we discover these one another's. Help us to be Christ's ambassadors as you are making your appeal through me to bring people back to God. Help us to walk with that mandate to know that you are good in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Well, church, we love you. We hope that you have a great day today. And in fact, I pray that you will take this 1 Corinthians text. You will study it and pray it over your lives. Join us at 4 o'clock today to come pray over our community and to serve practically there. But have a fantastic week, and we will see you next week as we continue our series, One Another. God bless you.